Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If there's one issue that keeps me up at night, it's the speed and scale of our response to the challenges that humanity and the planet faces. So much great work is being done, and more people and companies are joining those efforts every day. But will we get there in time? For us, our kids, and the planet we share. That's why I'm so passionate about any strategy that can be a force multiplier for impact. Because the same forces that got us into trouble, the connection between and combined effect of our individual actions, can also be our greatest solution when consumers, leaders, companies, and business at large work together to create and execute solutions that improve lives and regenerate our planet. I've spent much of the last several years thinking through how this can be done and the role that each of us, no matter where we sit in business or a company, can play. And the possibilities are amazing. So let's find out what we can achieve together. From WeFirst and Goal17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mattering, and today we're doing things a little bit differently. You see, my new book, Lead with We, is available now in bookstores and online. And so I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Greg Molnar, co-founder and CEO of Goal17 Media, and a longtime investor in purposeful companies. And he's actually going to be interviewing me about what it really means to lead with we. So Greg, I guess I uh, hand it over to you. All right, we're here to talk about the book, but we're not really as much here to talk about the book as we're gonna talk about you. I wanna go back into your background because the evolution of your background is what came to the first book, We First in 2011, and now this book, Lead With We. I saw it as sort of three segments. I mean, the first segment is sort of an introduction to Lead With We and, and quotes and research from people that have, that have sort of walked this, this trail with you. The second one goes to a lot of case studies, and, and case studies really are where people learn. You know, I don't understand what worked and what didn't work. But there's the third component is sort of a, a roadmap I mean, I've already pulled out pages and sat down with my wife and asked these questions. It's, it's a series of, okay, if, if we really want to do this sincerely, what are the questions we asked ourselves? How do we go about this approach? What, and so I, I commend you because um, a lot of these books are well intended, but at the end of the day, the question is, okay, how do I do it? Yeah, so, the, I was very intentional about the structure of the book um, because... I'm not someone who ever wanted to be a writer and I, I never thought about writing books. I just happened to write a lot to get things done, you know, and then people say you're a writer and you're like, well, I guess so. But, you know, writing's a bittersweet thing. You know, it, it's, it takes a lot out of everyone who puts a book together. Um, but there was a, I was very intentional about having the higher order narrative around how business needs to change. And that is a loftier conversation and one that is being had all around the world through institutions and organizations and heads of state and so on. But then to drop down to these very tangible, actionable, you know, um, discrete areas that build on each other through the book. And so it's a difficult thing to do because you've got to kind of throttle on both cylinders all the time. But the last thing we need is a lot of another book talking about good intentions or a great idea 
without giving a roadmap and how to do it. And also we've been lucky enough at WeFirst for the last 10 years to really uh, do this day in, day out with big, small, famous, unknown companies. And so the way we think and the way I think and everything in the book is a function of all the team's work, you know, at WeFirst, um, everything is about, okay, how we get it done. Are we doing it for real? How are we measuring our success? Are we moving the needle forward, both for our business, but also for the impact that we need to create? So, you know, that's why the book is the way it is. And, and you know, hopefully we've captured a lot of the thinking that we've been sharing with clients over the years and made it available in a way that people can follow. Well, you did. And the other thing is, there's an extraordinary amount of research into the book. I mean, there's, there's quote after quote and study after study. Um, but imagine you had to get a lot of approvals because some cases you're doing case studies that weren't successful and you're talking about companies. How, how does that approach happen? How do you reach out and get these kind of approvals? Yeah, for these I, things? I, I mean, with any, um, when you have an opinion, you know, you're going to have a point of view that is going to sort of point to certain practices and also seek to upgrade certain practices. And the way that works in the book world is you, you know, you reach out to folks and say, okay, listen, this is, this is what we're talking about you in the book. We want to share that with you and want to make sure that it's accurate and that, you know, we've got permission to um, explain things in those terms. So, you know, there's, there's a process to that. But I mean, I think the reality is this. We can't nice each other to death anymore. We can't tiptoe around each other anymore. We can, we can also stop pointing fingers and blaming. I really made a conscious right. effort in the book not to shame and blame because firstly, we've got to put all our energy into fixing things. And secondly, there's a lot of people doing that. And, you know, with good reason, but like, knock yourselves out. Right. But I, I, I'm much more interested in the solution than I am in sort of like attributing blame. And so um, the book is positive and it really sort of lays out the emerging embrace of a new way of looking at business to re-engineer and reimagine how business can show up, one that works with nature rather than against it, and one that kind of really serves the collective and all stakeholders working together to improve conditions for everyone so everyone can benefit rather than, you know, to oversimplify what's been happening for a long time, which is, you know, the vast majority of the wealth that capitalism generates gets sort of filtered into more, a smaller and smaller number of hands. Right. Right. And that is not only unconscionable in the sense that so many are suffering when others are doing so well, but also it's unsustainable from a sort of economic model point of view. And we're seeing things break, break down. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, yes. And, and purpose-led or uh, we first capitalism, these different terms we'll get into, it's really about looking forward. And blaming is looking backwards. And we've got enough of that in our society right now which is another reason why business has to sort of lead this, this revolution. But I want to get to that in a minute. But first off, I want to jump back and talk about you for a second. Okay. So born in Australia. So I grew up in Sydney, yep. Um, you know, grew up in the water. Uh, my happy place is in the ocean. Um, I did a fine arts degree and, you know, I was deeply, deeply passionate about art all the way through school and then, you know, through university. And um, then I did a law degree and then I came out and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with all of this? Exactly. You know, I've got, I can't make money being, I actually left law school and went to art school and I thought I was going to be a full-time artist. And then I realized, oh, now, now there's a high paying career. Yeah, no, it's actually really funny. It was just so naive and wide-eyed, but I really did think I would try and be an artist. And I would, literally left law school and enrolled in art school, much to my parents' dismay, and then realized I couldn't, you know, eat, pay the bills, do whatever. And it, ha it so happened that someone came up to me and said, hey, you know, 
you've always had an inappropriate sense of humor, you should be a copywriter. And having done law, I thought if they meant you know, trademark, intellectual property, copyright, and they meant copywriter and advertising, and I'd never thought about it. And, you know, that started my journey in the advertising world. Somewhere along the line, I mean, here you're, you're in the ad agency, which is all about, you know, hard advertising, promoting products. You're working on a global basis. You're working with a diverse group of companies, some probably a little bit more purpose-led, some less. At what time did you start having these thoughts about this isn't really what I want or this, I mean, it, and I mean, did you just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to do this anymore? Or it must have started just creeping into your mind. How, how did this happen? You know, as serendipity, luck, whatever would have it, the universe. Um, I happened to read the speech that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum that year. And then later on the floor of the General Assembly. And I just read it online because I'd heard about it. It was on NPR and things like that. And he said, the private sector needs to play a bigger role in social change because government philanthropy can't fix the world on its own. And this is all when 2007, 2008, the global economic meltdown was happening. It was just right in the middle of all of that. And it was weird. I remember it, you know, I remember it so clearly because I, it was called his creative capitalism speech. And I, um, I was kind of struck by the fact that it was called creative because it was like a creative brief. He was basically saying, how can we do business differently? How do we need to think about it differently? And the, the sort of breadth of that ambition didn't scare me because um, I'd worked on the Olympics and World Cup projects. I'd launched, you know, big things like the Razor and worked on accounts like Motorola and, and had sizable responsibility. So it was more like, it was a bit of an aha moment. It's like, wow, I've had this visceral experience, especially on Nike, where you can do work and, and shape culture, create movement, right. do things right. differently and en masse when you come out with the right communication. I was just like, what could we do if we took the power of that storytelling and it applied it to all of these problems? And the only reason I cared, there's no brilliance, there's no intelligence here. It's a, it's a duh insight, which is I just felt what happened in 2007, 2008, was unfair. Maybe it's an Australian point of view where you sit there and just go, come on, mate, like do right by each other. Like we're, we're all equal. Maybe that was where it came from. But the way I saw the knock on effect of people's hopes and hearts, you know, hopes and homes and healthcare and all around the world, Greece, Iceland, the Gulf states, all around the world, I was like, this isn't right. You can't have a few folks oh. in the banking world cause the rest of it all to topple down. And so that's where it all started. I was just like, wow. Maybe there's an opportunity to selfishly find more meaning in what I'm doing by applying some of the things that I've seen from the movement building lens through my professional experience to this issue that seems so front and center and so obvious to me, which is we've got to kind of tell a new story for business and we've got to show up in different ways. And this is at the time when Facebook had just started, Arab Spring was happening, Twitter was barely beginning, and we had these new tools where we could facilitate new dialogues between brands and consumers and institutions and citizens, maybe this was a new beginning. And so all of that led me to sort of naively again, God, you've got to thank, thank God for naivete or whatever. I was like, I'm going to, I knew I, I walked out of my living room through these doors we had and I walked out and I had this, I heard my voice in my head go, I'm going to write a book. And I went, pardon the friends, S-H-I-T, I'm going to write three books. And as soon as that happens in my head, I knew it was a done deal. And I spent the next three years writing We First. And I was such a dork. I went and bought eight books on how to write a book proposal. And it was just so 
Yeah, so we'll get it. Probably so done. We've all done that. Yeah, and then the, you know the book came out and did well. That launched the company WeFirst, which has been here for ten years now, helping companies be more purposeful and, and really walk their talk authentically. So that's where it all started. Where did you come up with the term WeFirst? I mean, would that just come to you one day, or was it? No, I mean, you know, my job as an advertising guy who's done a million taglines and campaigns is to distill things down to their essence in a way that you can add water and expand it later on. And I was constantly challenging myself, what the hell is the root of the problem with the way we're doing business right now? You know, and with all, there was a lot of criticism at the time about the investment banking world and that sort of thing. And a lot of people talking about their motives or selfishness and so on. But really, in, at the end of the day, to me, it was like, yeah, this, this whole me first mentality that, you know, greed is good, Gordon Gecko, profit for profit's sake and all of that. Right. And what I do know from my advertising world is that you want to create some inherent tension and, and you want to capture people's attention. So to capture their attention, you give them something familiar, but in an unfamiliar way. So not me first, but we first. And to get that inherent tension that captures their sort of interest, we first. Isn't that a contradiction in terms? Isn't it about the individual that should be first? How can the collective? And so the book was originally called We First Capitalism. And then just in the last few weeks in discussions with the publisher and so on, deadlines, we sort of dropped the capitalism because it was a larger idea that goes beyond. Absolutely. And, but it had, you know, we first leadership, we first culture, we first product innovation. It just had a lot of legs like any great ad campaign. And so I wanted to propagate the idea. Um, and I really wanted to, from a brand point of view, lean into this idea of we, to really commit my company and my career and my future to helping people understand what a powerful proposition it is, not just in theory, but in practice, in business, what can it look like? So that's how it came about. So let's talk about lead with we. What are the sort of three or four core principles that lead with we wants to use to inspire social entrepreneurs and, and, and you know, existing CEOs and CMOs? Well, I'll draw a distinction between we first and lead with we first. You know, we first was about leveraging social technologies to help us drive those dialogues, which will take us from a me first mentality to one where we prioritize the collective. But it really was about using these tools and this, this new social fabric we're weaving through social technology to drive positive change. In the 10 years since the book came out, a lot of that has happened. You've seen a lot of great nonprofits, foundations, individuals do amazing work through social channels. But also a lot of the platforms have basically become advertising platforms. Right. And there's been privacy creep and all the different issues that we hear about in the press every day. And meanwhile, things got worse like climate, loss of biodiversity, ocean acidification, pollution in the oceans, social inequity, or any of these problems that I hope the original book could help solve for by using social technologies to build on business as usual, right? It didn't get far enough fast enough and things got worse. So the new book, Lead With We, is very different. It's about a wholesale reimagining and reengineering of business so that we can look at it through the lens of collaborative leadership, leading together so we live and work in ways that restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend. So what are the steps? I'm listening to this and I'm either a young aspiring entrepreneur or I run a pretty good sized company and I completely believe that I have to be part of the solution. What do I do? 
how, how do, what, what are the first steps I take to move my com- company in a way and, and get buy-in? I'm going to talk on two levels, one to the company, one to the individual. A fundamental premise of Lead With We is that all of us need to lead. Every one of us is on the hook. We can't just be the beneficiaries of stakeholder capitalism. We've got to share the responsibilities as well. So none of this is going to work if you don't drive an alternative energy vehicle, if you don't choose plant-based alternatives, if you don't take actions, you know, if you don't work for companies doing good rather than companies doing bad, if you don't invest in companies that are doing good rather than letting your pension fund enable companies that are doing bad, you've got to put your time and dollars and individual agency to work. Why? Because we've got to do it together. Why? Because no one else is going to fix it for you and we're out of time. On that premise, as someone, as a CEO or founder of a company, you've got to tap into what is fundamental concept in the book, which is this virtuous spiral of collectivized hurdling. And let me speak to that. One of the challenges for me is why is what we're doing up till now not working? And even in the do-good world, one of the reasons I believe it's not working is we've talked in terms of this virtuous cycle where you do well by doing good. But consciously or not, that puts these limits on how much impact you have. It kind of confines it to your sphere of influence, your supply chain, your employees, your customers, your give back, your one for one, whatever it might be. But what we're missing is the connected tissue between all the layers of business. And so as opposed to the virtuous cycle, what I lay out in the book is called the virtuous spiral of collectivized purpose in action. And there's several levels. Imagine in your mind, like an arrow going upwards. And at the bottom, the narrow end is the word me. And at the top is the word we. So we're going from me to we, and there's a spiral wrapping around going up. The first level is assuming the the responsibility to lead. And that's what I just touched on. The second then is as a CEO founder, someone in charge of a company or someone inside a company, you've got to define your purpose. You've got to integrate that authentically in your company and you need to address the issues that are exposed through a honest audit of how you're showing up right now. So you need to move from doing less bad to more good. You need to stop being part of the problem. You need to be part of the solution. And yes, that does involve time and capital costs, but it puts you on the right side of history and it allows you to be a partner that others want to work with. So you capture those market forces that will drive your growth. But do an honest audit and address those issues in your supply chain, how you're treating your people, what products you're making and how you're taking them to market. You then go to the company culture level. And on the culture level, there are three fundamental things you need to do. You need to address sustainability and ESG, like you need to look at you know, what harm you are doing and how you can become more net positive, how circular in, you know, in your economy you can be. Secondly, you need to look at diversity and inclusion. Don't just be diverse, be genuinely inclusive. It adds value to your business and it's the right thing to do. And then thirdly, you need to pay a, pay a fair and living wage to people. We see that in the restaurant industry here in the United States, finally, you know, 15 to $20 and so on, a big change is happening. Those are the table stakes at the culture level inside your company. And then you need to address a social issue relevant and authentic to your brand, whatever that might be, women's empowerment, childhood mortality, access to education, something that's relevant to your brand. Then going up to the next level, you need to look at the community level, which is I don't think of it as marketing as marketing. I think of it as movement making, as community architecture. And you need to co-create impact with those stakeholders. You see this with the Ben and Jerry's of the world. You know, you see this with Unilever brands where they reach out and say, this is what we're committed to. And whether it's 
you know, a percentage of a sale of a product will go to a cause or whether it's showing up and volunteering or whether it's advocating for change and lobbying for change. You know, you've got to co-create impact with your stakeholder community, your customers, your partners out there. And then above that, you have the societal level. And again, we're working our way up the spiral here, the societal level where brands need to drive cultural conversations that shape culture. What do I mean? Airbnb, all the things it does around universal belonging, giving free accommodation to Syrian refugees or you know, firefighters during fires in Australia and California, or you know, sustainable living with Unilever, as I mentioned. You know, all of these brands are driving conversations that really impact all stakeholders in society and shape culture as you've seen around gun control women's empowerment, access to voting, abortion, all of these different issues. You saw all the CEOs turn up and demand that the, climate admi uh, the Biden administration set more aggressive climate goals. And then finally, beyond this sort of societal level, you've got transcendence, which is really what I call when we've transcended our self-interest in service of the collective and we've restored that harmony between you know, humanity and nature, that symbiotic relationship where we're nurturing the natural world so that it can provide the abundance we need to thrive as businesses, and we're showing up completely differently. And you know, as you step through each of these different levels of the spiral, it's the connective tissue between them all that's so important. And the foundational idea that makes that possible is leading with we. We are all using lead with we as a point of departure, as a mindset, as a process by which we get it done collaboratively and as an end state in terms of what success looks like. The well-being of the whole so the parts can thrive. Why? Because I said, as, as I said earlier on, that the whole is breaking down right. for the sake of just a few parts and everyone else is suffering. And we're at a point of intolerance now. We're at a point of no return. So there are some of the different steps, but the book lays out a step-by-step -step plan for companies of all sizes with right. case studies and examples and research and questions to ask yourself so that you can position yourself as somebody who's going to benefit from the those, these new emerging market forces and actually grow your business by solving for social and environmental challenges because they are all just marketplace opportunities in disguise. And the brands that are addressing that right now are already starting to feel the wind behind their back and growing exponentially. You know, the book really lays this out for you in a detailed way, and, that, and that's why I put it together. You look ahead now, in the next five to 10 years, in the most positive way you can imagine. What's the good that you can see? What can happen if we do leave with we and companies take on this type of a culture? The first thing I'd say is that it's going to be a painful journey because there will be those forces that resist it. There will be those who fail despite their best intentions and there will be those who really effectively succeed. So it's not going to be pretty. The second thing I'd say is being optimistic is a conscious choice because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we all say we're doomed, then we're all doomed and it's a fait accompli. If we all say, no, I'm going to do a little bit better and we're going to do a little bit better and they're going to do a little bit better, then we'll all do a little bit better We'll all start to see the results. It'll build more momentum. The market forces will reward it and it'll take on a life of its own. So I just want to frame my answer in terms of these conscious choices. But what could happen in the future? I think that we will start to scratch the surface 
of the gifts that the natural world has been laying out at our feet for, for as long as humanity has existed and bring those to the fore in business. Whether it's decoding the DNA of spider webs and, and making clothing or it's whether everybody, we, we did a show about someone who decoded the DNA of spider webs to make fashion, to make fabrics, which is just fascinating. Or whether it's using mushrooms and mycelium to make leather alternatives and so on. Right. All of these gifts will suddenly be revealed before our eyes. They've always been sitting there. We've been looking, we just haven't seen them. I think secondly, we will start to reconnect with the natural world. And that will be a huge tonic for this fabricated divisiveness that a lot of social platforms have created through, algorithmically and otherwise. Because I think only when we are put in, a, in the presence of something larger than ourselves, a natural world, we've all stood on a lookout and gone, oh my God, or we've all looked at a sunset and gone, wow. We, we become small and when we're small, we become a subset of something much larger than ourselves. And I think that's getting, reconnecting to nature is just one of the most powerful ways to heal ourselves, to come back together and allow us to work to solve for these issues. And then I think you're going to see the same priority given to purpose in the business world that was for a long time reserved for profit. And sustainability in the near term will be a priority, a premium in terms of what drives purchasing decisions. And you're going to see a whole new shakeout of those companies that are going to be the leaders of the future. And I deeply believe the companies that lead the future will be, will be those with the greatest social impact because Absolutely. we've got these issues to solve for. And so I think we'll be closer together. I think we'll be more connected to the natural world. I'll see, I, I see a reimagination of re-engineering of business where we're leading together in new ways. And I think we'll start to unlock something that indigenous people and others since have known for a long time, which is there is a totally different way of coexisting in harmony with this precious gift called the natural world where we regenerate life. We don't degenerate life. We regenerate on an ongoing basis like our bodies do, like the natural world does in ways that will just add value to everybody's life. Not just dollar value, but real value happiness, joy, connection, community. And I think this will be the beginning of something absolutely extraordinary for humanity. But we had to reach this point of crisis before we were going to retool. So in some I sense, believe, we're here. I believe humanity will come together. Yeah. I think we, we always have and, and the, the goodness will come out. I just, I hope people see what's going on here and they, they take the time. The book really is sensational. And it's, as I said, it's, it's a roadmap. It's the roadmap with that. If we're not on that trail now, we need to jump on. Yeah. So no, it is. I, I hope it's a useful guide to everyone. It really gets very specific about what you as an individual can do inside your company in the context of a framework that allows us together to take it to scale. And I deeply believe that's what we need right now. So thank you for the kind words about the book and, and for the great collaboration with Goal 17 through all of this. And um, it's interesting to be in the hot seat, you know? Yes. Well, it wasn't so hot. Thanks, Greg. Take care, Simon. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. And you can always find out more information about today's guest in the show notes of each episode. Our show is made possible by a partnership between We First, a strategic consultancy driving growth and impact for purpose-led brands, and Goal 17 Media that's building greater awareness of and financing for purpose-led companies. Make sure you follow Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And do share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you'd like to dive even deeper into the world of purposeful business, check out my new book and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Lead with We, which is now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. See you on the next episode. And until then, 
Let's all lead with we.